Hello and welcome to Everything Interesting Under the Sun. I'm your host, Ethan Clark. Today we have Dr. Eduardo Blanco joining us. Eduardo is a professor in the School of Computing and Augmented Intelligence at Arizona State University. He is a recipient of the NSF Career Award for his research on natural language processing, where he focuses his efforts on understanding the structure of human language to imbue that knowledge into computers. Enough of that. Let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Eduardo Blanco. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ethan. Uh, glad to be here and thank you for, for inviting me and looking forward to the conversation. Of course, thank you. So you began your career in natural language processing before the invention of the transformers as well as everything that came from that. What, what inspired you to pursue this path before all of the hype began? Yeah, so I guess... I became aware that natural language processing was basically a thing uh, during my undergraduate uh, degree. I took a class in natural language processing. I remember the professor's name was Horacio. And anyway, it was like a nice introduction to this is how you can actually get a computer to deal with language and do something useful. The input is generally a string of characters and the output is something that is useful from parallel tags to perhaps answering relatively simple questions. And that class was, I guess, more of an introduction. We did not get to implement a lot of things, but ever since I was just, I don't know, I, I, I like to read the inputs to my programs, and you don't get to do that if you deal with databases or other kind of subfields of computer science. So I just thought it was kind of cool that you could actually get the computer to, to understand, to a certain degree at least, language. Do you mind defining natural language processing for the people that aren't aware of that? Yeah, so if you look at it as a box and we don't care what's inside, uh, any computer program or any intelligence system that takes as its input a natural language, that could be voice, even though usually if it's voice, it's going to be transcribed into an actual sequence of words. But if you do anything with those words, you basically give a computer uh, words. It could be the stream of this podcast and then the computer is going to do something useful and kind of intelligent from it then you're doing natural language processing so things we could do for example is just tell me what language i'm speaking right now maybe tell me what accent i have and what might be my native language all that kind of stuff if the questions you are asking to the computer have to do with getting something out of language you're basically doing natural language processing what are some of the large problems within natural language processing that are currently being worked on? Yeah, so cool problems that are kind of facing users, uh, perhaps one of the most interesting ones or at least useful is machine translation. You can just say something or write it down on Google and it's going to give you back the translation in any language you want. Uh, answering questions is, is another interesting problem. Uh, nowadays, you can ask just not only factored questions such as, you know, who was president in year blah, 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 but you can actually ask, I don't know, where can I buy uh, whatever is your favorite beer in whatever city you are in, and probably Google Maps is going to tell you where you can go buy it. Um, in general, information retrieval, which is basically what Google does, give me a query and Google will give you back a bunch of websites with relevant pages for that query. Uh, that's also natural language processing. And the list, uh, I guess, continues, really. I guess nowadays you can ask Alexa or one of those smart speakers to do things based on what you say. So that's also, at least in part, natural language processing. You mentioned a little bit about uh, Google's search engine and how like, you have to give it a, a query that, like, that results in an answer. Uh -huh. I was thinking about this recently. I know this is something that's being worked on. Just the idea of instead saying what you mentioned, like who is the president or what was the president in 1977. Like mm -hmm. you can ask, like you can ask it in more of a, a normal way of like a question or question answering instead of 
specifying it for Google's search engine, you can ask it as in a normal question, like, oh, yeah, who is the president? I mean, I, I kind of just recited what, exactly what I said, but you get the idea. Like, you can make it more natural as opposed to having it fit within the search engine of Google. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think right now, uh, I mean, I've been in conversations where I'm in a room, I want to know something, and somebody would say, oh, you're a horrible Googler. Like, you need to put those words, and if you put those words, then you're going to get what you want. And I'm like, that's not really my problem. I mean, that's somebody else's problem. I, I shouldn't have to write whatever keywords in whatever right order so that I get the answer. I mean, it's fine to do that, but we all know that web pages are optimized to be at the top of certain keywords and so on. So, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, uh, information retrieval textbooks use this term called information need. I have an information need. Uh, a service should be able to fulfill that information need without me having to come up with the specific keywords that I have to get, you know, I have to write in order to get that information needs satisfied, right? But anyway, that's not really how it works, right? Mm. And I think, I, I don't remember the last time, but I'm pretty sure that, um, I can query pizza and I'll get pizza places around whatever I'm at, but if I wanna query something more complicated, um, yeah, keywords only get you that far, right? Even questions, um, the moment you, I, I don't remember right now, but I remember in a, in a previous semester I taught natural language processing, I, I just went to class and I said, let's ask Google this question, and the answer was obviously wrong, because I think I asked, who did not step on the moon uh, whenever the Apollo went to the moon? And the answer was still uh, Lance Armstrong, right? And that's just not the case, right? So anyway, it, it's relatively easy to trick uh, these machines, and they get better all the time, and, and, and that's, that's how we improve, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that uh, what you mentioned about the incorrect responses on Google. I've seen a lot of those on Twitter where they're asking pretty significant and important questions, and they get an incorrect answer. That can have very downstream effects. Where like, obviously, a lot of or the for the layperson people that I'm friends with that are not very tech savvy, they just consult with Google, and then whatever Google tells them, they just automatically assume that to be the case. Like a lot of people just assume Google is infallible as you search something up and it gives you a response that is undoubtedly the correct answer but knowing how these systems work that is it, it has a it's a higher probability of it being correct but it still uh -huh. has a potential of being incorrect yeah, yeah absolutely and this is not necessarily Google because obviously I don't work for them but it's obvious that they do take care of identifying websites that may or may not be reliable and so on but in general if you read most research papers Unless they're specifically working on identifying misinformation or trying to figure out what might or might not be true, uh, most people take the input text as whatever is written is not meant to mislead anybody, which is obviously not necessarily the case, right? Mm -hmm. It's just separate problems, let me put it that way. But a very hard problem, for sure, to actually figure out what is true and who decides what is true, right? Yeah, I never really considered that because just knowing the state of journalism and how they're always trying to give off flashy headliners to get people mm -hmm. to click. Like, just reading those headliners could tell you something completely different than what the actual story tells you. They could essentially just clickbait you, and that yeah. is what Google could fail on, like fail on that clickbait. Yeah, that is, I think it's, it's not really my fail, but I think it's communication studies. They have this, um, let's say, important topic called framing, where it's not necessarily that anybody's lying, but whatever you, you choose to emphasize, it's gonna have an impact on the reader. So even if nobody lies, you know, one could say, um, you know, let's just say we are describing a supermarket or some grocery store. One could say the meat is very expensive and somebody could say the groceries are extremely cheap. Both of them might be true, but you are gonna get the idea that the grocery store is expensive or cheap depending on what I choose to tell you, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it is more complicated than also just establishing truth. Uh, what are you, what is the speaker perhaps inadvertently making you believe based on what he or she chooses to say? It, it's a complicated problem, uh, how we frame things, uh, which literally is what, what, what do you pick to emphasize basically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And also I'm sure it makes it more difficult given that the English language is very messy and there's a lot of 
different ways you can interpret things such as what we've learned or what I learned in your class through parsing tree or parsing sentences there's definitely many different ways you can interpret a sentence based on the ordering of the words yeah uh, yeah English is certainly I mean I, I only speak basically three languages English Spanish and, and Catalan uh, I'm not sure English is more ambiguous than Spanish or Catalan. I think they're probably roughly the same. Uh, but in any case, language is just complicated. Um, and it is often the case that even the most innocent sentence, if you actually dig down, your first read might not be the right one, right? Or, or the one the, the speaker intended. And, and yeah, I don't know, I guess I just, if you do, Another language processing for a while, you start reading kind of like thinking, how easy would it be to get the meaning of this sentence, even if you're reading a normal novel? And it turns out that a lot of sentences are just hard, you know. And I'm sure, I don't know an example right now, but it wouldn't be the first time that I read something and I have a completely different interpretation than somebody else. And I'm like, no, that's not what it says. And it's like, yes, it is. And anyway, you just kind of go back and forth and, until you figure out what it's supposed to, to mean, right? Yeah, I remember one specific example from <coughs> Uh, an exam in your class. The one I gave was, "Did you see the girl? Dr did you see the girl dress, or did you see the girl's dress?" Or one, one of the two. Where uh -huh. like it's ambiguous whether you're seeing her actual dress or you're seeing her change into clothes and dressing into those clothes. So that like that's just a, a, uh -huh. a given example that shows how ambiguous language is. But instead of talking about the downfalls of language, what would you say is the beauty of language? Like what makes you inspired with within language? Well, I guess the beauty is that uh, humans, for the most part, actually don't really, we, we don't have, it. I mean, I guess I'm better now speaking English than a decade ago, but generally speaking, most people, uh, they are able anyway. They don't have problems communicating. We don't communicate anywhere near everything that the other party we are communicating with understands, right? And we are extremely good at skipping unnecessary details that would just make the conversation way, way, way more uh, complicated. Um, you didn't tell me what a microphone is, right? I know who, who, what device is capturing my voice, right? And, and and so on and so forth. So I think that's the, the cool thing. We just don't have issues communicating for the most part. We humans, I mean. Um, I, I like that and I also like the, the simplicity of language. Some people, I'm not by any means a professional writer but if you read a, a manual of how to write basically style just simple things like write this way and people will understand you better and it turns out that it's true you just uh, the simpler you write you write the, the usually the better and I'm talking mostly about technical writing but uh, I think it's still true in general uh, communication when you're reading in a normal English sentence from like an article, mm -hmm. are you interpreting it as a natural language processing researcher or do you just normally read it as as you would and just casually reading? I can read it normally. I think most of the times I do. But uh, sometimes, for example, I don't know. I think perhaps I read in a more... But I'm not sure if it's NLP or just the way my brain works. But I, I do think I build some sort of mental visualization or what it means, almost like arrows between how does the sentence connect with the first sentence in the document, that kind of stuff. But I don't, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily NLP, it's just my brain works the way it is, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you fall into the belief of uh, what Noam Chomsky's saying about how English, or not English, but language is ingrained within us and we just have to find it? Or do you more so believe that we created the language as a species? Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I, I have, uh, I wouldn't say study, but I guess browse some of those ideas. Uh, I have no problem believing that somewhere inside our brain we are fundamentally, um, I guess, designed or evolved to make some sort of a structure out of the words we hear. I mean, I, I. I yeah, I don't know either way. I'm not sure what the proof is for either way either. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I'm, I'm fine with any option. Uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> either way, it doesn't really matter. Just, you're still doing your work.
what is so I I I was doing some research on some of your research. Er, uh-huh. I was doing research on your research earlier, and I was noticing a lot of them were a lot of your papers were relating to the idea of negation within language. Do you mind explaining what that is, and then also explaining the significance of that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I got, I guess, uh, fortunate in 2018. I got a, I got a grant to work on negation. So uh, it's a five-year grant. So that's just kind of like a nice thing. But uh, yeah, so I guess let me just tell you some numbers because natural language processing is fairly empirical, right? So it turns, and we just counted. This is not you know, rocket science, but it turns out that around one out of four sentences in English has a negation. I'm not sure today how many negations I've said, but it's pretty common to use, uh, like the standard negations such as never, not, and all that stuff, but also more like the lexicalized negation, things like, I don't know, this car lacks power. At the end of the day, I'm negating that the car has power, right, with the word lacks. Mm-hmm. So anyway, negation is very, very common, and obviously negation reverses meaning, but going back to, at least from a logical standpoint, the, the just reverses meaning, right? If I say John is not tall, well, that's what that means, right? John is not tall. But when we are talking, it turns out that uh, very often, and we estimate around two-thirds of the time, somebody uses a negation, a normal uh, speaker or whoever receives that communication, they are going to start understanding things that are actually positive, right? So if I were to say we didn't start this podcast until 20 minutes ago, everybody understands that the podcast is going on right now and it actually started 20 minutes ago, right? Or or whenever it was. So literally what we are doing is um, whenever there is a sentence with negation, we are going to rephrase it or try to infer affirmative counterparts from that sentence. And it turns out that if you get rid of the negation, uh, these fancy transformers and everything else that is going on in NLP, uh, that's much better. Uh, we found that many, many state-of-the-art models uh, face challenges if uh, they input sentence as a negation. Uh, this is true from answering questions to telling whether some Amazon review is positive or negative, uh, making inferences and and so on and so forth and part of what i like it is because it falls into this uh, i guess dimension of meaning that is fairly implicit it's really about what is not said but is meant and and i'm just i think it's interesting to go after those kind of problems basically mm-hmm. yeah i never really considered the difficulty of translating or understanding the semantical meaning of a negated sentence like that's just as you're mentioning that that seems like it'd be very difficult and as you mentioned that again i am going to become well more aware of the my negation in sentences and other people's as well it's a very interesting idea uh, and, and there is even literature i i wish i remember the book but uh i don't have kids but everybody who has kids and i've mentioned this they told me yes of course but anyway there is proof basically that when children learn to speak Negation is complicated. It's after they start being able to say, I am happy or whatever. Then after a few months or years, they start saying, I am not something. Because it's just, it's just way harder. It's, it's cognitively, it's, it's more demanding, basically. I mean, that makes sense, uh, yeah. I, 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 there is papers about this. But anecdotally, everybody I ask that are raising kids, they, they have told me, oh, yeah, that's true. Like, you know took so many whatever months or years I don't really know how long it takes to learn a language from scratch but but yeah it's just complicated right what do you think the rationale is behind that well when you negate something uh, it's not so clear what you mean right like technically in language there's this thing called implicature which is basically what is implied but it's not necessarily true but generally speaking we are all gonna believe it right so Let's say John is not tall. Technically, that means he's either average or short, right? But most likely, I mean he's short, right? But I'm not really lying if he's average, high, right? So anyway, it, I don't know. If I tell you I'm not home now, uh, out of all the possible places I could be, which is basically the whole earth minus my house, uh, you're going to figure out which ones I might be in, right? Just because of, I don't know, I'm doing a podcast and you probably know city I live and so on 
I just think it's. I still think negation is plenty of informative, but it, it it's just complicated. I don't really know how else to <laughs> to say. It. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other cool thing is negation. All languages have negation. I I, you know, I only speak three, but the literature says that it, it's kind of a. Like philosophers have said that negation is basically what, uh, or I guess one of the things that distinguish humans from other animals. Like that, that's basically such an important characteristic of language that we can negate things. Uh, I think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. That it definitely requires some higher thought to be able uh-huh. to negate a sentence and still understand the meaning behind it. So you're mentioning you're uh, you spoke three different languages, and on going on that, it's kind of interesting. I was. I'm really interested in the idea of language, and I think uh, what, so Noam Chomsky is a, just for the people that don't know him, he's a very significant researcher in the field of linguistics and language, and one of the things he mentions is that all language follow the same structural pattern and structured grammars, and I'm sure you can attest to this with English, Spanish, and Catalan, or Catalan, or Catalan, however you pronounce it, they all follow the same structural pattern with, like, whatever uh, part of speech I don't know what the exact yeah yeah so the three of them I hope I'm not messing this up but I I think it's true (laughs) the three of them are basically the basic sentence is subject verb object and I mean certainly different grammars and prepositions are complicated in English so are in Spanish and so on but they are very I guess verb oriented with who did what to whom how when and where like semantic role labeling makes perfect sense in Spanish I don't really know if that's true in all languages, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I no doubt the three of them are different, but um, I, I don't. It's not like I don't know. I don't speak Chinese, but I'm told it's very different. Let me put it that the way they order things and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to see the different paths that each language has taken, like the Roman languages or the Romance languages, the Germanic languages. I don't know what the other ones are, but. It's interesting to see like what they all share in common and then what they've evolved separately and like how they all achieve the same goal of communicating and what their different <laughs> means are of doing that. I, th- I find that very fascinating and, and that makes me believe that language is something that is ingrained within us and we have to come to a state where we create it ourselves. We just have to find it within ourselves. Uh, yeah, I... I think that's true. I've I've read stuff. I don't know how much common sense it is, but basically, had I been born, say, in the middle of Japan with exactly the same genes, I would have no issue learning Japanese. It's not something that is genetically defined. Basically, what language I could or I could not have spoken. There's plenty of evidence out there that um, basically anybody can learn a language as long as you do it early enough. Uh, But yeah, I mean. Uh, communicating and using language is certainly, uh, I guess, a part of what makes us intelligent. You touched a little bit about a little bit on top of the idea about learning languages at an early age, and it's interesting to see that I'm trying to learn Spanish currently, and mm-hmm. it is very very difficult for me. And I know that if I would have learned it at the age of five, like it would have been very much easier, and I probably would have been fluent at this point. But because I'm so late in the game mm-hmm. and it's very difficult for me to do and that is just interesting how the brain works like that it's very plastic at early ages and it allows you to pick up on new things whereas as you get older it becomes less plastic and you can't really pick up on new things that, that really that really fascinates me yeah uh, there is also so I grew up in a bilingual or mostly bilingual area of Spain so Catalan is I guess more of a uh, the language of Catalonia and Spanish is the language in the whole country. Uh, but anyway, if, if you grow up there, everybody basically is bilingual. And I believe there is evidence in there that if you grow up bilingual, you actually, it may, it may appear basically from the outside that it takes you longer to learn either language, and it's true. But then when you actually learn both, there are benefits basically of growing uh, bilingual. I'm not so sure how easy it is to grow bilingual if one of the languages is only learned in a classroom because I, I think that's a weird way to, to learn it. Like, 
Barcelona, basically, I'll go to school. Most classes were in Catalan. But you go to a store, you basically have a 50-50 chance that the menu is going to be in Catalan or Spanish. So it's very fluid. It's, it's a bilingual society, right? So that has uh, tremendous benefits, I think. And for sure, I mean, learning Spanish, if, if I think at this point we all know that the sooner we start, the better, right? Like I, I always... Whenever I misspoke something in class, basically, I always say that, you know, I cannot listen or pronounce the 12 sounds for the five English vowels. I, and, and there is research that basically makes that evident. Like I, I, just, I just can't. I lost that chunk of my brain. It's, it's doing something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just how it back, is. Yeah. <laughs> is uh, Spanish and Catalan, are they very similar languages? Or are they, like, what are the influences of these languages? Yeah, I would say they are similar as French and Spanish. So basically, I can guess what... Uh, so... I can guess, for example, probably 50 to two-thirds of what a French politician says. So if it's kind of like formalized language, if it's slang, I, I don't know what they're saying. But Italian or French, I can guess 50% of it. And I think Catalan is in that uh, realm, too, where even if you don't speak it, if you speak Spanish, you can guess a good chunk. There's certainly different languages, but they are as close as French and Spanish, basically, I would say. Which one is it closer to, would you say? To f- Spanish? Yeah, French or Spanish. I would say probably Catalan, but it's mostly because, um, if not all, 90% of Catalan speakers also speak Spanish, so I'm sure there is plenty of, um, I forgot what it's called, when a language borrows a word from another one and that kind of thing. So the Spanish I speak, uh, so let me put it this way, if if I speak Spanish, now not so often because I don't speak Spanish or Catalan that often anymore, but I'm pretty sure that when I speak Spanish, every now and then I'll just throw a Catalan word in there, right? And then if I go somewhere else in Spain, they'll be like, oh, you must be from this area. Which is fine, but it's pretty obvious, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. So going back to natural language processing now, do you believe that language is a means to reaching artificial general intelligence such as the way the the field of artificial intelligence is trending towards now? Yes, but this general intelligence, I, I'm i not so sure I, will, I, as a human, will qualify myself as a general intelligence machine. There are so many things I don't know and I'm not capable of doing, right? So, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to be, basically, I mean, if you want to interact with a human, you don't have to speak. I mean, otherwise... When I started my undergraduate degree, this was in 2008, uh, the visualization professor said, this mouse and keyboard, two, three more years, they'll be gone. And and they are, and I mean, I could not imagine writing Python code if I don't have a keyword. So I, yeah, I mean, I fundamentally think that if you wanna interact with humans, you have to talk to them. And talk to them properly, not like just a robot, basically. Um, but how to do that, I I don't know. But yes, I mean, if you want to be truly general intelligent, I think you're going to have to not only talk, but actually way more, like facial expressions, everything else that we humans do all the time, basically. Could you go back to what you mentioned about humans not being general intelligence, and can you elaborate on that? I don't know. I'm not... They just talk about me. I'm not so sure I have general intelligence. I know very little about chemistry, and I don't know if I'm... I guess capable, probably, but I don't, I'm sure not patient enough to learn chemistry right now. I I don't know anything about how a transistor is made, and I'm fine. I, is that general intelligence? I don't know. But it's just like this machine that's going to know everything. I don't, I don't even know if that is a reasonable goal to have. So is this not like artificial general intelligence? I know myself that is a goal of mine just because... The way I was brought into artificial intelligence was through AlphaGo, uh-huh. and that really made it, it really... But playing Go is not general, it's just playing Go. I, I mean, I don't play Go, and I mean, I, I know how to play Go, but I'm saying is I'm not good at it. Mm. I, I don't even know last time I played a game. But I'm like, what if I'm not good at Go? That's, that makes me dumb? I don't think so. I mean, I agree. It's not, <laughs> gen- it's not general intelligence, but it just blew my mind at the fact that yeah, I don't know. this I, was supposed to be such a difficult thing to do, oh, and I, now it's so... I was impressed. Uh, I think it's a terrific achievement. But even if you get this machine to do all board games, uh, it, how general is doing all board games? Well, 
it's all board games. It's not everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just playing with words, basically. But um, I don't. I don't think a human that the only thing that he or she can do is play Go. We're gonna call them the smartest person on earth, right? We don't. We say he's good at Go. We don't say this person is smart, right? Or maybe we do. I don't really know. But. Uh, but there, there are. Um, I'm just speaking with the name. Like, why gener general? I'm like, uh, I don't know. Can they, can they sail a boat with an actual sail? I don't think so. I mean, I'm just living a simulator. But so, are you you're kind of? It seems like you're stuck on the idea of general in the sense that it must be capable of doing it, like everything. When I think of general intelligence, I think like, like you and I. You mentioned you're not the best at chemistry. I'm not the best at chemistry either, but I'm sure if we spent time learning about it, we could pick it up. Like, we are capable of learning it. Probably. While also maintaining the knowledge that we've had in previous fields. And that's what I think general intelligence. I don't think being specialized in absolutely well, everything. Well, if we are the I guess going back to negation, if we are defining as not specialized in a tiny problem, sure. But not specialized does not mean general, right? Uh, you know, do I make sense? Like, I say, okay, this thing can do more than just play this game. It can play 10 games. Okay, it's not specialized. If we want to call that general, then sure, it is general. But all I'm saying is I don't think they can answer, for example, or even have a conversation. I mean, it, I don't think they can do any of that. Does that make sense? Or? Yeah, that makes sense. There's, yeah, I mean, if general means not only this tiny specific problem, then sure. It is general. But I don't think we are there, though. I'll tell you that. And I think it's a good thing, by the way, that we are not there. Because otherwise, what am I going to do next year? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is very true. I always think about, like, whenever this general intelligence does come, like, I could potentially be out of, like, what I'm doing, what is the point of what I'm doing now? Like, the same thing you just said. Like, what, what are you going to be doing in the future? But there is a recent research paper out of DeepMind, it was uh, titled a generalist, a generalist Agent, I think. They developed this model called, or the system called Ga or Gato, or Gato, and it was able to perform at a higher level, or perform, or they, it was given 600 tasks, and out of those 600 tasks, it was performing like above the average on 460 of those tasks. Uh -huh. So would you say that is general? Because the some of the tasks were game playing, some of it were chatbot stuff, others were information retrieval. Yes, I mean, I, it's general, again, yes, it's general if it's not specific. I, let me just say that when, when I read the paper, I also, like everybody else, exaggerates a little bit, and I'll say this is general when I know it means it's just not specific, right? But I think it's important to spell things out too so that people don't think that it's general as in anything, right? But also going back to above average, uh, I'm not so sure I'm gonna give up everything. Basically, we were talking about self-driving cars before, right? And before we started, and the moment they say this self-driving car has less accidents than average, I was like, well, so do I. I mean, that's not good enough. <laughs> I mean, no, I still don't want it. I mean, like, okay, above average, it, it's great. I'm not diminishing what they do that's a good metric I am above average sure but I'm like still many humans that are better right so um, you know well, that's, that's a fair point like why would you choose something that is above average but still beneath you just because it's above average like it doesn't really make much sense it's a, I think it's an excellent metric uh, and I'm, I'm not by any means saying that the work that I guess the field is doing, including myself, is not interesting. I think it's very, very interesting. But uh, from there to actually everybody using it and being usable in the real world, I, I think it's a it's a stretch that some people might be willing to do if they don't know what it really means, that it's better than average. But it means it's run it a few times and they're tuning it. And for those specific tasks, I don't know this paper, so I don't know what they did, but what happens if I come up with a new task? What, what are the requirements to learn this new task? Uh, 
bet they are relatively high rise. Mm-hmm. But it's still very cool to solve 600 tasks that I don't know how to solve before. I agree. It is it is like a cool thing, but at the same time, like they're labeling it as a general a generalist agent, which I think it just is meant to create hype around this idea and like make make people invest more money into this. Like, oh, you're already this close. Like, I, I read I read something recently that DeepMind is claiming, or that one of the researchers at DeepMind, his name is Nando DeFridis, and he was mentioning that the the war or the fight is over that AGI is nearing completion and that all that needs to be done is just scaling what they've already been doing and that I think I I'm of the camp I know you mentioned uh, something a little bit about Gary Marcus in class one time and I'm in the camp of his view that scaling is not the means to an end like we need new architecture and new fundamental algorithms yeah I think he phrases it way better than I could but. The, the work they are doing is sure great. It, it's, it's a tremendous achievement to do go or those 600 tasks. But I, I don't think there is a, I don't think there is a system right now that I say, go get me water in my house. And it's actually gonna know, uh, no human is gonna go to the garage to get water, right? Most of them are gonna go to the fridge or the kitchen. I don't think that's going to happen with a robot. And even if it does, I seriously doubt that you put the same robot in, in a condo in Barcelona and it's going to know where the water is because fridges in Spain don't have a dispenser for water. It's just different. And I seriously doubt that they're even general enough to work in different households in different countries. And you have you will have no problem finding water in a condo in Barcelona. I'm almost positive. A robot that has only seen American households, I don't think it's going to find it. That, that's an interesting problem because humans are just so sample efficient where like you need one experience to find where the water is and you already know where the water is. Whereas a, with a robot, you need millions of experiences to kind of get an idea of where the, ro- or where the water is and then you can learn from that million experiences and then over time you grow. Like That is an inherent downfall within artificial intelligence and I think that is the limiting factor for it's not the limiting factor but it is one of them contributing to the stagnation of not necessarily the stagnation but the slowing of artificial intelligence towards artificial general intelligence I think to a certain degree it's just a matter of uh, spelling out exactly what these systems are doing I think it's very reasonable to say that we have state of the art machine translation systems that give you a very good idea of what a sentence in a foreign language means. They are far from perfect. I mean, if you use them, if you read the press release, they will say, our system from company X is better than humans. If you use them, you know very well that they are nowhere near professional translations. Is it better than nothing else? Absolutely. But better than humans, that, that, is, that is only true because Basically, if they follow that statement with according to the automatic metric that we know does not really correlate with human judgment, then that's true. But if you ask, if you use machine translation, it's great, but it's not at the level of a of an, a professional, basically. And that's why books are being translated by professionals. Those people are not losing their job. Do you think that perfect machine translation will happen? any time in the near future, or is that still well, well away from reaching it? Uh, maybe for relatively simple text, but for example, for... Like, honestly, I, I, don't, I speak Spanish and English. I don't think I'll be a very good translator, so I, I don't even know the strategies of... <clears throat> how they actually do it, but I not for highly figurative languages full of metaphors and nuances in meaning or poetry or things like this. I don't. I'm not sure that will ever happen. Machine translation is extremely useful and it does work, but I think if again if we put it on, we just use it. It's it's extremely useful, but not as good as what a human would do, right? Uh, anyway, that, that's why I think I don't use it every day, but whenever I use it, sometimes I'm like. This is completely wrong. Or maybe the meaning is right, but it doesn't sound natural, basically. That's interesting. So I mentioned I'm trying to learn Spanish, 
and in this process, I will like I'm reading Spanish books or I'm listening to Spanish things, and mm-hmm. when I whenever I encounter some sentence that I don't know, I'll copy and paste it or copy it, put it into Google Translate, and then paste it, or it translates it, and then I take that and I compare it with a different translating app. And this other one I have, it's a called the Spanish Dictionary. It has like multiple different machine translation apps and they all give me completely different sentences <laughs> which like how am I supposed to learn if this is so ambiguous yeah I'm not it's probably not true anymore but in the early ages they they will do back translations so go from English to say Spanish and then from Spanish to English and the two English versions were completely different basically every time you translate you lose some meaning right now, now it's way better there's no question about it and useful I, I do think it's it's useful, and I think sometimes you can even. I haven't used this myself. I've seen, I've seen, I think I've seen demos, but you can take like a picture, and it will just kind of like put the characters as if you were in another language and that kind of stuff. So, great technology, but I, I, I still think humans do it better, basically, regardless of company X saying that they're better, or, or papers too, all the time say superhuman performance. And I'm like, well, it is true on this benchmark, but if if I change a random word, all of it, it's and it's a known problem. It's called out of domain gap. If you change the domain of of whatever problem you're working with, answering questions or or even translating children's books versus translating, say, uh, adult books, adult books or or car manuals, chances are that you see substantial drops if you just change the domain of what people are talking about in the language you are trying to translate or answer questions from and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, out of domain uh, examples, that definitely has a, a really big negative effect on any artificial intelligence system because obviously it has no experience with that. Yeah, and the weird thing is, you go to a conference. Like, I'm going to a conference this coming week to, to the ACL, and, and you'll see papers that's like, here is how to improve out-of-domain performance, basically, how to not suffer from that gap in results. But uh, then, depending on what press releases you read, it sounds like that is not a problem. And I'm like, we all know it is. <laughs> I mean, th- but those papers are not going to you know, be too... Uh, they're not going to be picked up by the New York Times, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to see the gap between <laughs> research papers and what is reported about these research papers. Like, just obviously the clickbaity headlines and trying to get you to read their article. Like, that definitely has a negative impact, in my opinion, on the research community because what they're what the results are providing are not necessarily what is being given to the public to understand. So, yeah. because of that, like, there's a a mismatch between the current state and what is perceived as the current state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe that's uh, fair, yeah. So you mentioned a little, or we were mentioning a little bit about artificial general intelligence. Is that what motivates you to study natural language processing, or is there something else that inspires you to continue your work? I believe natural language processing will, I guess, enable or is a required component for being truly having general intelligence, but I'm not necessarily, again, it depends on how we define it, but if if we are gonna define general intelligence, even if it's something as simple as this, this thing I can talk to, and so basically, let's just say that general intelligence is achieved when a machine can host a podcast, just like you are doing now. I don't think we're gonna see that anytime soon, and arguably, that is, less difficult than true general intelligence, right? Somebody who can, I guess, do some Googling about me and come up with some questions and so on and so forth and ask them at the right time, extremely difficult if you want a machine to do that. So I I don't see anytime soon a a podcast. uh, I can see for sure a machine that generates the transcript of a podcast offline out of an imaginary guest, but somebody who can actually interview somebody else intelligently, live, and depending on what I say, then you, the machine is gonna follow up with this question or this other question. I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon. Well, hopefully not, because I wanna continue <laughs> to, this. to change gears here a little bit. What is something you would tell yourself if you were in my position, as in my age? 
as you've learned over your years? Uh, I'm assuming professional career advice. Is that just life advice in general? However, you want to take that. Yeah. So I, I everybody has different personalities, but I, I would say you want to be. around people that are smarter than you are if you can anyway because everybody can you just need to make the effort to find them whatever they are but basically I think it's worth being challenged rather than always leading basically Uh, you can do both for sure but uh, I think that's one of them Uh, number two could be uh, I actually think nowadays almost all computer science students do stuff because they want to they don't just do like I only did whatever I was asked for I I was just too lazy I guess to figure out um, you know what cool problems are out there like I'm fascinated you know all this stuff about the mind I'm like why on earth do you know all this stuff it's like I, I don't know I wasn't I guess maybe there was not as much uh, press releases out there back then I don't know but uh but yeah, I mean, explore, and I would say, don't worry too much of what other people tell you, or, or basically advise other people give you. Do whatever you like, and things are gonna be just fine. Uh, when I was in high school, I remember a classmate told me that computer science was dead, like that's just so old. And I was like, no, it's gonna be fine. But I, I have no clue. That's the reality of it. So, but I still remember that conversation. So, uh, yeah, that was not very good advice. Let me let me rethink this again. So, don't. I guess I said. What did I say? I said, don't worry too much about what other people say. Uh, so challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. Oh yeah, I think it's worth it being around people that are. Uh, I guess. I don't know if it's smarter, but basically more accomplished than. Um, yeah, and also, um, I say don't listen to advice, I don't mean that, but what I'm really trying to say is that don't listen to all the advice you get, because uh, basically when I get advice from people that you kind of admire is kind of a strong word, but people that you, I guess, professionally think they're doing well, right, or whatever you would want to be. But people may volunteer a lot of advice that is not necessarily good, right? And it's still going to be your life, not theirs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I need to come out with a better list next time. I was not too ready for this question. It's all great. Those are very good, though. (laughs) It's interesting to see. So I I like to ask this question when I have people on here. And it's interesting to see just their wildly different answers and how, like, my guess as to how this advice has impacted them and how I can adopt that myself. It's interesting to see like their backstory, how that has influenced mm-hmm. them. But on to the next question, what, what, um, what are the, what books have given you the most impact in life or have been the most impactful? Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm actually, I'm a horrible reader. I don't really know why, but I cannot tell you titles, but for a while, the the books I've been reading are kind of weird books like from business schools and stuff like that they just supposedly tell you how to uh, deal with people and what's the best way to do this or that I, I just I read them but I don't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily recommend them <laughs> but I don't really know a, a title um I don't know how to answer that question. I should have thought about it, I guess. What are the books? Um, I don't know. I I don't read a lot. I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I just uh, haven't. And also, usually, I also don't pay attention to what I read. Uh, it's almost like entertainment. I know it's bad to say this, but I don't think... I don't have a large collection of books or anything like that. Um, there is a... No, but I don't really... 
No, I cannot really tell you. Like usually, I should come out with something like, oh, this is very good life advice, but I usually just read, uh, if anything, novels, but I wouldn't even be able to tell you the, the title. I think. It's just kind of stories, entertainment, things like that. Fair enough, fair enough. The last question, what is the meaning of life to you? Um, I, I mean, first of all is I don't know, but to me, I, I can tell you that I enjoy what I do. I, like teaching for example is rewarding. Uh, the meaning of life, I don't know, live whatever I do hopefully has an impact that is more positive than negative. Uh, whatever is not so good that I do hopefully gets overturned but by whatever good stuff I might do. But I don't really have a too high expectations, I guess. Uh, I enjoy life. I like my job I have a good network of friends and families and and I don't think too much about why are we here or why not and that kind of stuff it's just it's not like you were asking me earlier what advice I, I try not to worry or even bother about things that are out of my control and this is one of them so I guess that's another advice I have like don't worry about things that you don't control because <laughs> they're gonna happen even if you don't want them so uh, but yeah I just being being here alive and I guess doing more good than bad that, that's a pretty good uh, way of life I guess doing more good than bad I like that it's a it's a good way to end it thank you very much for joining me I really enjoyed this conversation all right thank you thank you very much Ethan first first podcast for me it was enjoyable of course I'm glad it could be thank you before we go our separate ways, I want to leave you with a quote by Stuart G. Wallish. The computer is incredibly fast, accurate, and stupid. Man is unbelievably slow and accurate and brilliant. The marriage of the two is a challenge and opportunity beyond imagination. If you like this podcast, then please give my channel five stars on your preferred podcasting platform. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time.